All right, if you'll turn with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter number 30, all the way back. So looking at Joseph's life, you know, when you look in the Bible, the Bible doesn't hesitate to show us warts and all. Uh, I've heard some people defending what books they put in school by saying, well, they need to take the Bible out of school because it's got, it's got death, it's got this and this and this, and it's got all of this going on in it. But the truth is, what it does is it shows us how imperfect man is. When we look in there, we, uh, when we look at through the Bible, some of the main characters who followed God had their own flaws that uh, held them back. And through that, we see God's perfection and we see God's grace. We don't see a book, book full of perfect men and women. What we see is a perfect God dealing with imperfect Men and women. Amen. So when we see Noah, he followed God's commandment to build an ark and his entire family was saved from a flood that destroyed the rest of the world. But we also see Noah getting drunk. We see him. Um, we, we see his flaws in that area. We see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. They all lied to save their own hides at one time or another. Are you following me on this? I might have started this a little funny. What I'm trying to point out is some of the flaws of men that we see in the Bible. That's not in Genesis 30. This is just an overview, an introduction. We see Moses had to flee Egypt because he murdered an Egyptian. And his entire family, and by the time he saw the burning bush, he had resigned himself to keeping his father's father-in-law's sheep on the backside of the desert. He he was beaten down. David, King David, who was a man after God's own heart, was an adulterer. Solomon, his son, was an idolater. And Peter cursed and denied Jesus before realizing what he had done. John the Baptist doubted Jesus. John the Baptist was in jail. He, he, he was in prison, and he'd reached a point. He said, are you the one that should come? He's, he sent to Jesus, and he had doubted in himself whether Jesus was the one. Paul was a Pharisee who persecuted Christians before he became one himself. And through all that, we see their flaws, but we also see how God used them, how God worked through them to work a mighty work. And through all of the flaws and all the warts and all that we see throughout the Bible, when we look at the story of Joseph, we, we don't see any sin in his life. We don't see, we don't really see his flaw, unless you count maybe a little bit of pride with his coat of colors, his coat of many colors, when he was talking to his brother. And after looking at this lesson, after kind of studying through these passages, I, I kind of wondered about that. My my. My thoughts on Joseph are that he was kind of innocent in that. Have you ever known somebody that just didn't know what they were doing? And I'm not talking about trying to do a job or something. I'm talking about somebody, you know, like a kid. One of the most honest people is a kid. They're innocent and they don't understand things. They just speak honestly. There's a lot of times you try not to hurt somebody. You hold back a little bit or you might... Well, you might say a white lie or something, but Joseph, 
when he went and he told his dad what they were doing? I don't know. But let's take a look. I want to start with on this. Joseph lived 110 years and not one sin's been attributed to him. He endured trials and afflictions that most of us can't even imagine. And nowhere does the Bible even hint that his faith in God wavered. And he never seemed to take his eyes off God in all of that time. When we look at the story of Joseph, if you'll turn to Genesis chapter 50, or if you, or if you just want me to read it to you either way, but in Genesis chapter 50 is kind of where Joseph's story comes to a conclusion. And in verse number 20, he's, he's talking to his brothers, who he's now standing before. And we know that his brothers put him into the pit. We know that his brothers sold him off into slavery and, and then told their dad that he was dead, told Jacob that he was dead, and all of those things. And uh, at the end of it all, Joseph's standing in front of them. And when they realize that it's Joseph and they realize that this is a second to Pharaoh and they realize that this is the time that he can exact vengeance on us, that he can pay them back for everything that they did to him. He said, but as for you, you thought to do evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring it to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And in Joseph's life, we see in our own lives how Romans 8.28 comes true. The Bible says, uh, God works all things together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So when we look at that life of Joseph, we see a life that experiences both success and failure. We see him literally at the bottom of a well all the way to the pinnacle of power. We see him experience the loss of everything only to gain more than would have ever seemed possible in his life. Through all of that, we see God working through him, using him as a vessel of both honor and dishonor wherever he was. When Joseph finally sees things come full circle, when he has a chance to exact the revenge for the wrongs that were done to him, he shows the grace of God to his brothers. He shows us what true forgiveness is, and by that reflects the love that God shows us in the forgiveness that he offers us through his own son, Jesus Christ. And this is just one of the types, one of the hundreds of types we see throughout the life of Joseph, the type of Jesus Christ. He is rejected by his own brothers who sought to kill him, then sold him. He was falsely accused and imprisoned, and he rose from the underground prison to sit on the right hand of Pharaoh and become the savior of those very same brothers who now bowed to him. So we see those, that picture, that type of Christ all throughout his life and the things that happened to him because we see similar, similar things happen to Jesus Christ, the way he was rejected by his own people, by the Jews the way he was sold for uh, 30 pieces of silver, the way he was crucified on the cross. He says, but as for you, you thought evil to do against me, but God meant it unto good to bring it to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. In life, we'll experience some ups and downs. We don't get to stay on the mountaintop, like I said. We have trials, we have victory. But Joseph's life shows us that 
while the world can throw evil at us from every direction, God can turn that evil to good. God can use you in your life. You may think that you're at a point where God can't use you. You may, you may be beaten down. You may be at a point where you say, God just can't use me where I am. But it's by his might and power and by his spirit. And we see this in Joseph's life. In this, in this world, we have what we call dysfunctional homes. And when we look at Joseph's life, and I, I got to be honest to you, I hadn't looked at it in this way. When I read about Jacob, now I said it was just going to be us, right? I said we were going to talk Bible. When I was studying this and I was looking back, I'd always read about Jacob's life and I get toward the end of Jacob's life and then Joseph shows up and then I start thinking about Joseph. But I never thought about Joseph being there when all of this was going on with Jacob. When you go back into, uh, well, we, let me get back to it, just stay on track here. We have dysfunctional homes today. We have divorces that break up families. A husband and wife will break, it was never meant to be that way. God meant for a husband and wife to raise their children together. When a home breaks apart, they often leave children between the parents. Arguments take place and fights take place over the children and all kinds of deception. And these things tug at the children. No matter how young they are, they feel the pain between both parents. They go to see one parent and that parent complains about the other parent. They go back to the other parent and that parent complains about the other parent. And those things beat down on them. And those things stay with you for the rest of your life. There's sins of all kind. It's not Bible, but what you do in moderation, what parents do in moderation, children will do in excess. When we look in the Bible, we see this in the life of Jacob. He was a trickster, but he had never killed anyone. His sons not only tricked an entire city, but they used the opportunity to kill them in revenge for, devile, for their defiled sister. And you see that escalation there. Absentee parents. Latchkey kid is a term that's used for children that come home from school to an empty house with so much time to themselves, they're left essentially to raise themselves and they join or often join forces with other kids. And it's the blind leading the blind, raising themselves. Now, this isn't to make a commentary on all of modern society, but it's just to recognize the fact that these problems exist in the world today. But these problems don't have to hold somebody back. And we see in Joseph's life, we're, today we're going to look at his early life. We're going to look at his family life. And you know, it's not quite the ideal family life that we would think. Because when you mentally just start off with where Joseph is, you see a father who loves his son and, and he's lifting him up, gives him the coat of many colors. But what we don't see is all of the things that go before Maybe you have. Maybe I'm the only one that's looked back at this. Or they hadn't looked back up until recently. So with all of this going on, it doesn't seem that a kid today would have a chance to serve God or to be, to follow the Lord. 
We're told we're the product of our environment. We're told that our background shapes our lives to such a degree that how we were raised will determine how we live. To a certain degree, we're all products of our upbringing. We bring with us certain traits, habits, and characteristics from the homes in which we were raised. Thankfully, it's not true in every case. And Joseph, the life of Joseph, blows that theory out of the water. Before Joseph was thrown into a pit, before he served as a slave in Potiphar's house, before he sat in prison languishing, and before he stood before Pharaoh as the prime minister of Egypt, Joseph spent his formative years in a home marked by sin, sadness, strife, and struggles. Yet Joseph became a great man of God and was used of the Lord in tremendous ways. So I just want to look at the early years of Joseph's life. I want to talk about those formative years that could have formed a boy into an evil man. But instead, I want you to see that God overcame Joseph's family, his upbringing, and all the negative influences that he grew up with. And in your own life, if there's things that hold you back when you look at your past, God can help you overcome that too. And God can, God can use you just as he used Joseph. Look back at uh, Genesis chapter 29. So Joseph, he was already born into a troubled family. Before he came along... Jacob went to Laban's house and he wanted to marry Rachel. He wanted to marry his cousin Rachel. But instead, he got Leah. He worked seven years to get Rachel for for her to be his wife. And then on the night of his wedding, his uncle Laban, who was going to be his father-in-law, tricked him and sent in the older daughter, Leah, that Jacob, he, he had his eyes on Rachel. Genesis twenty nineteen it says, 29, 18, it says, And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. So his uncle tricked the trickster, Jacob, because Jake, that's what Jacob was known for. He tricked Esau. He tricked his father Isaac, God of his birthright, and he ends up getting tricked. Verse number 23, and it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. So Jacob spent his wedding night with Leah, and in the morning he discovers that he's been tricked. In verse number 25, and it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah, and he said to Laban, what is this that thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban tells him that he couldn't give the younger daughter away before the older, right? And Jacob confronts Laban, who agrees to let Jacob have Rachel in exchange for seven more years of work. Look at uh, verses 27 to 28. He said, fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve me yet seven other years. Now, let's be honest. How many of you figured that Jacob worked for 14 years before he got to marry Rachel? Am I the only one? I probably shouldn't admit it. Or you're just not admitting it. He worked seven years for Leah. 
And then for some reason, it's been in my mind, he worked another full seven years before he got Rachel. I see some of you already looking. He says, fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And then uh, verse 28, and Jacob did, did so and fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. He didn't have to wait the seven years. And Jacob did so, fulfilled his week, and he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, Bilhah, his handmaid, to her maid. Verse 30, and he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. So within the space of a, of a week, he ends up with two young brides. So this sets the stage for jealousy and bitterness between the two sisters and in the family. Leah gives Jacob four sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Verses 32 to 35 tells us, And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord had looked upon my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. And he conceived again and bare a son and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me, because I have borne him three sons. And therefore was his name called Levi. So you kind of get a glimpse and, and, you know, the Bible, I was talking to Megan. I said, you know, the Bible will leave blanks. But when it tells you something, it tells you a lot within that little thing that it tells you. And you see, and you see her desperation to have Jacob's love in this. So... Uh, she conceived again, bare a son, and she said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah and left bearing. So Rachel comes unglued. The worst thing that could happen to a woman in that day was to be childless. And she takes matters into her own hand, and she decides to give Jacob, her handmaid, Bilhah, to have children in her place because she's not having children. And that's one of the worst things for a woman. We see Hannah praying desperately for a child. We see uh, Elizabeth praying for a child and getting John the Baptist. We see um, at different times. So look at uh, chapter 30, verses 1 through 4. It says, And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead, who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? And she said, Behold, my maid Bilhah, go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees, that I may also have children by her. And she gave him Bilhah, her handmaid, to wife. And Jacob went in unto her. So Bilhah has two sons, Dan and Naphtali, and that's in verses 5 through 8. And... Uh, <coughs> It says, and Bilhah conceived and bare Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God hath judged me and hath also heard my voice and hath given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. 
And Bilhah, Rachel's maid, conceived again and bare Jacob a son. And Rachel said, with great wrestling have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali. So you see in each of the children being born, this competition between Rachel and Leah that's going on. So after that, Leah sees this and knows that she hasn't, isn't having any more children. So she gives her handmaid to Zilpah, to Jacob, to have children for her. And when Leah saw, verse, thir- verse 9, when Leah saw that she had left bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob, his wife. And Zilpah has two sons, Gad and Asher. Uh, verse 11, and Leah said, a troop cometh, and she called his name Gad, and Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for the daughters will call me blessed, and she called his name Asher. And after a time, Leah has three more children by Jacob, Issachar, uh, Zebulun, and a daughter named Dinah. In verses 17 to 21, and God hearkened unto Leah, and she conceived and bare Jacob the fifth son. And Leah said, God hath given me my hire because I have given my handmaid to my husband. And she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again and bare Jacob the sixth son. And Leah said, God hath endued me with a good dowry. Now will my, listen to this, now will my husband dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. And she called his name Zebulun. Rachel's desperately wanting to have children, and Leah's desperately wanting the love of Jacob. And this is the home that Joseph's about to come into. Through all of these children being born to Jacob, not one of them actually belonged to Rachel. The woman that Jacob loved enough to work 14 years of his life for. So we look at the timing of his birth. Joseph was the 11th son born to Jacob, and Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. So you know in that time, in that day, it was important who was the firstborn son. And here Joseph is the youngest of 11. But you know in the Bible over in 1 Corinthians, it says not many noble, not many mighty, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the base things of this world. We see that example time and time again. Like even in the birth order of the, of the men that God uses. So from all outward appearances, Joseph entered into this life at a disadvantage. It didn't appear that there was much hope for his future in the family. He would always be the low man on the totem pole, being bossed around and picked on by the others. You ever had an older brother or sister? He would always be the low man on the totem pole being bossed around and picked on by the others. The timing of his birth could not have been worse from a human perspective, but as we'll see, God knew what he was doing. And like cream, Joseph rose to the top. Look at his boyhood, because that's the family that he came into and the kind of competition that was going back and forth. But now we look at his boyhood, his childhood. You know, you remember things from when you were a kid. I, I'll never forget one Christmas. This is a bad, I got to work on my illustrations, honestly. But I, I, one, one of my darkest memories from when I was a kid was when my stepdad 
learned that it was a bad idea to give all my uncles a bottle of whiskey for Christmas. I remember me and my cousin, my, my grandfather had, you know, the family kind of living on the property and like three or four different trailers there. I remember me and my cousin hiding in one trailer. <laughs> and I remember going out the door and seeing the hole in the wall. If that tells you what kind of night that was. So I could just imagine with 11 brothers older than him, what kind of memories that Joseph had going through life. Because we see the conflict from multiple wives and multiple children. We see bias for Rachel over the others. And we see a hasty departure from Laban's house because Jacob had cleaned out his father-in-law through deception. Jacob had to leave town. He, was, he had to get out of there. His grandfather was chasing him. In uh, chapter 31, verse 17 to 21, Then Jacob rose up and set his sons and his wives upon camels. And he carried away all his cattle and all his goods, which he had gotten, the cattle of his getting, which he had gotten and paid in Aram, for to go to Isaac, his father, in the land of Canaan. Verse 19, And Laban went to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. Verse 20, And Jacob stole away unawares to Laban, the Syrian, and that he told him not that he fled. So he fled with all that he had, and he rose up and passed over the river and set his face toward the Mount Gilead. And he would remember the arguments that took place between Laban and his father Jacob. In verse, uh, I just read that. So Jacob and Laban make a covenant to stay away from one another. Laban departs, and Joseph never sees his grandfather again. We know of. We see, uh, we see him going back to Jacob, going back to Esau, his brother. You remember how he had tricked his brother? You remember how Jacob was afraid that his brother, what his brother would do when he was returning to him? How he split the flocks and the family and put them up ahead of him and his scheme in that? We see also Joseph's older sister, Dinah, is raped by Shechem. And two of his brothers, Simeon and Levi, trick the men of the city and then eventually kill them all when they're weak. We won't go into the deception, but if you remember, this was all going on when Joseph was a young boy. Not only that, later, when Rachel finally has another child, Joseph loses his mother as she gives birth. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 35, verse 16. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni. But his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave. And that is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. So Joseph has really had every opportunity to go the wrong way. 
He's had about every excuse you could give somebody to be evil. And I said that uh, what we do in moderation, our children will do in excess, and we see that in Jacob's other sons. But somehow Joseph represented that part of his dad. He followed that part of his dad that worshiped God, that followed God, that trusted in God, and had faith in God. And that never wavered in his life, no matter what he was going through. Reuben, the older, I don't want to, but verses 35, uh, 21 to 22, if you want to do that. Reuben, the oldest brother, commits incest with his father's concubine. Joseph's other grandfather, Isaac, dies and is buried. Uh, Verses 27 to 29. Joseph's older brothers were all wicked, self-centered men. Jacob was a passive father who allowed his children to do as they pleased with no correction. Jacob was also guilty of favoritism. He loved Joseph more than the rest of his sons. You look at Genesis 37.3. He lost his mother at a young age. He was uprooted and moved at a young age. He was surrounded by rape, murder, incest, treachery, intrigue, idolatry, jealousy, death, and hatred. A very negative and hostile environment in which to raise a child. We... There's, there's ways to avoid those problems in your own home. You could be less than uh, truthful. Looking at the problems that existed in this home, we should have a desire to avoid some of their mistakes. Here's how to build a dysfunctional home. If you want to build a dysfunctional home, be less than truthful with each other. Be jealous of other family members. Demonstrate your favoritism to your children. Try to help God accomplish his will in your home. Practice deception so you can get your way. Operate outside the will of God. Live a life of anger, manipulation, and control. You know, there's people that can, there's people I know that can make a drama out of eating a sandwich or making a sandwich. I mean, it doesn't matter what's going on. They can create drama around that thing. Live a life of anger, manipulation, and control. Sin is always the root cause of dysfunction in a home. With all of that, there was positive areas in Joseph's childhood. Not everything was negative in Joseph's background. There were a few positive moments along the way. A few that may have had a hand in shaping the life of Joseph such as one night Jacob sent his family ahead and he stayed behind to pray about his upcoming meeting with Esau. Jacob had an encounter with God that night that changed his life forever. That's over in Genesis 32, 24 to 32. When he catches back up with his family, he's limping on his leg and he tells them that he has a new name. He will no longer be called Jacob, which means trickster, deceiver, heel grabber, His new name will be Israel, which means prince with God. And Jacob has a new name, a new walk, and a new life. And he would never live like a trickster again. It was surely then the change in his father was something Joseph never forgot. He had to have seen that difference in his life. 
God tells Jacob to come back to Bethel, and Jacob demands that they do that they do away with their false gods. He calls his family together to worship God alone. And while they're there, Jacob builds an altar, worships the Lord, and gives the testimony of how he first met the Lord. Genesis 35, 1 through 4. And surely young Joseph would never... Uh, that had to make an impression on Joseph. We can find flaws in our upbringing, but there's also good points. And then there's the message from Joseph's battles that he went through. There's a message of hope. Your childhood doesn't have to ruin you. Your past doesn't have to define you. You can be honest when you're inclined to lie. You can be calm instead of angry. You can ask God for help when you're going through those trials or when you're tempted to go the other way. To blame your actions on people in your past is nothing more than a smokescreen for a heart that refuses to repent of sin and be changed by the power of God. God would change you if you let him. He'd take the shackles off your past of you forever if you'd allow him to. Your past should never be allowed to define who you are today. When I've counseled people, I would say it's time to be honest with God and tell him, Lord, I'm having trouble letting go of this. I don't, I don't even want to let go of this. God, I need you to change my want to. And things will begin happening in your life that will begin steering you away from that. It doesn't mean that you cling to it and say, well, God didn't answer my prayer, but it, there's, he'll, he'll make a way. It's like holding your hand to walk you away from those things. And you can yank away and go back to it. But if you've prayed and you ask God, you're sincere in your heart, when you, when you feel that direction, when, you, when you're going in that direction, you stay going in that direction. When you're going into the Word instead of over here, when you're, when you're going to church instead of over here, when you're going to fellowship with Christians instead of going over here, it's those little things, that, those little steps. But it's being honest with God and saying, Lord, I... You know, this thing is killing me. This thing is killing my life. I need you to take it away from me. I don't even have that desire to get rid of it, Lord, but I need you to help me. I want to. Does that even make sense that you could want to be away from something, but you don't want to let go of it? That's what someone with addiction goes through. That's what somebody with a besetting sin goes through. Just be honest with God about it. When we look at the message of Joseph's battles, there's also, there's the message of hope and there's the message of home. If we can take anything away from the home of Joseph, it's the truth that our own home should be sanctuaries of godliness. Every mother and father in this room should fall down before the Lord and ask for his help to make your home a godly home. It should be a place where Jesus rules, where his praises are heard and where his Lord and where, where he is Lord and where he is honored at all times. Our homes must be places where our children can hear the gospel and see it lived out. Our homes must be places where the Bible is read, honored and lived. Our homes should be places of worship where Jesus is lifted up. Our homes should be places where the voice of the Holy Spirit is able to speak to our hearts and lead us in the right paths. Whether you have children or not, you ought to pray to that end today, <clears throat> to have a home like that.
Every home that makes up this church is stand as a shining light for other homes in the church and in the world. Not only is there the message of hope, there's a message of home, and there's a message of help. As you think about the problems that plagued the early years of Joseph, there's a great blessing that you can take away. You can rejoice that God was able to take all of that dirt. <laughs> he was able to use Joseph and all that. And he was able to turn that dirt into diamonds. He was able to work all things together for good. Because we see in Joseph's life, God working all through his life, he's not only a picture of a type of Christ, but he's an example for us. And following the Lord, no matter what happens, no matter who lies against you. So many people have fallen out of church. They said, you know, they lied against me or they, you know, there's vipers in the church. I heard, I was reading, somebody said, uh, they asked a friend, how come you don't go to church? I said, well, there's, it's just a viper pit. And it's like, we got room for one more to slither in. <laughs> he said, Do you, are you saying that there's no vipers out in the world? And that's what a lot of people forget. They just lump the church in and say, well, it's just a viper pit. We're all imperfect. That's the thing. Anything man touches, it's going to get messed up. But it's a matter of where your heart is. Because when your heart's right with God, it doesn't matter what they do over here. When your heart's right with God, it doesn't matter what somebody says. It doesn't matter if somebody tries to trick you up with anger or drama. You just step away from it because you're following the Lord. You're following the path that he's given you. That's what Joseph shows us. No matter whether it's Potiphar's wife, whether it was his brothers throwing him in the pit, whether he was sitting in the prison, whether he was, uh, he was expecting that the cook and the butler to say something to, well, one of them. He was expecting him to tell Pharaoh about him down in the prison, and he never did. Joseph never let go of the Lord. He followed the Lord no matter what. And God ended up giving him and, and this is a part in studying this and looking at it from this angle. This is the part that grabs me. Because when we see Joseph way in the future and he's on the right hand of Pharaoh, we see Joseph with his own family, with his own wife and his own children. And I can just imagine what kind of home that would have been with a man that followed God the way that Joseph did. So like I said, I just want to take some time to look into God's word. Because, you know, those times I spent on the road listening to those sermons and learning Bible. I learned Bible there. I learned Bible reading and studying and learning from different people. But you just take it for granted that other people know something. And it's that time learning about Joseph, learning about Jacob. Those are the times that shape you and you don't even realize it. Those are the times when you're facing a conflict and you say, well, I see how Joseph reacted in this situation. I see how God dealt with David in this situation. I see how God can work through my life. I want the same character that they had. All right, if you'll stand.